First Chronicles 4 and verse number 9, and Jabez was more honorable than his brethren, and his mother called his name Jabez, saying, Because I bear him with sorrow. Jabez called on the God of Israel, saying, Oh, that thou wouldest bless me indeed and enlarge my coast, and that thine hand might be with me, that it would keep me from evil, that I, it might not grieve me. Uh, and God granted him that which he requested. Lord, we thank you for your word tonight. Thank you, God, for the opportunity to preach. Lord, we pray for liberty, unction, grace, and power. Lord, I do pray that you bless this congregation. Thank you for Brother uh, David. Thank you, God, for the ministry and what's going on here at Broad River. And God, I pray that you will bless in revival fires in these days. May it not just be a meeting of people with people. But Lord, may you come down and do a work in our midst that only you can. Our eyes are upon you. We know how frail we are, how weak we are. Lord, we're nothing, but you're all in all. Our eyes are upon you. And without you, nothing can be accomplished of spiritual value. But in you, all things are possible. Lord, you said, seek me, and I will be found. You said, I'm a rewarder of them that diligently seek you. And I pray, God, you'd help us to diligently seek you and look to you in these hours. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Brother David, if I could call upon you to read verse number 1 through verse number 8, it'd be a pretty good challenge, wouldn't it? I don't know that a Hebrew scholar could correctly pronounce all of these names. And then go on further to verse number 11, all the way down to the last verse, verse number 43, and you're going to get a hold of a lot more Hebrew names. And, you know, I'm like old Dr. Harold Seitler used to say. He said, I read through some passages like this, and I'd just say hopscotch, green beans, mashed potatoes, and just carry on. And it's hard for a country boy. But we see a lot of faces in these verses. And Chronicles is the continual record written down as it happened. And these are generations of people, and uh, these are families, and the multiplication of men upon the earth. And there's a reason God wrote these chronicles and genealogies and all of these names down. I was preaching in Cincinnati, Ohio. We went downtown by the big old fountain. And first lady I gave a gospel tract to, she looked at me and said, oh, you're a Bible thumper, are you? I said, no, I'm a gospel preacher. Uh, she said, well, I believe in the million billion year theory of evolution. I said, ma'am, was anybody around when all that was supposed to happen? Uh, she said, well, well, no, it's just a theory. I said, well, if you ever take a notion to read this Bible that I've got in my hand, you're going to have some real interesting reading, how God made everything. And then as you go through, you're going to run into a long list of names in Chronicles that real hard to pronounce. And then you move on past that, you get some more interesting reading, you'll come to Matthew. You'll come to another long list of names. When you come to the Gospel of Luke, you come to another long list of names. I said, do you know what that is? She said, why? Why? I said, because there were witnesses, eyewitnesses of what God did, and these are the names of our forefathers that were around to see all these works of Almighty God. 
I said, what you're trusting in is something some smoked up possum-faced professor hatched up in a classroom somewhere. And he said, in the beginning, big bang, bluey bow and all that. And he throwed this theory out. And you're going to trust that? No witnesses, no testimony, no written record, nothing like that? Oh, she just looked at me and shook her head. But the fact is that these are written down to tell us people experienced God and God did a work. Now, as you come down through these, these names, it's just one after another. And so-and-so, and so-and-so, and so-and-so, and so-and-so, and so-and-so, and so-and-so, and so-and-so. And this goes on. It becomes really monotonous. Then all of a sudden, in verse number 9, it says, and. Boy, there's all kind of ands down through here. And Jabez. And then God gives us two verses of commentary on this man's life. You can't read this scripture without seeing him stand out. I got a friend that's a national archery champion several times over. And when they'd be shooting these 3D targets, there'd be three or four of them together and they'd all be shooting at the same target. And he liked to intimidate them guys and say, oh, you're just another face in the crowd. You're just another face in the crowd. And I thought about this. There's a lot of faces in this crowd in these verses But Jabez was not just another face in the crowd. He was a man that stood out. God made a mark through this man. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be just another face in the crowd. Another occupant of a pew. I don't want to just be another churchman that comes and goes and nothing's ever accomplished to the glory of God. I want God to take my life and use me for His glory. George Whitfield used to pray, Lord, let me be an unusual Christian, not for unusual sake, but to the glory of our God. And to say the least, Brother Jabez stood out in his generation. And I want to look at tonight at this man and preach on the subject, Jabez, a noble saint. Jabez, a noble saint. Look in verse 9. Number 1, I see his person. And Jabez was more honorable than his brethren. Had that been the only phrase or the only commentary that God had about him, my, what a statement. That God would say he was more honorable than his brethren. In the book of Acts, it talks about those that opposed the apostles. And it said, these men were of the baser sort. It means that they were not honorable. They were rude. They were vulgar. They were foul-mouthed, they were vile, they were wretched, and they were wicked. But it says about Jabez that he was more honorable. That word honorable, it means noble. It means of a good characteristic. It means a man who had some uh, character about him that was evidence that he walked with God and that he lived for the Lord. Boy, you can tell folk that are honorable in this hour There's so many base and so many folk that are reprobates and our society is filled with reprobates. The news media is filled with reprobates and vile and wicked people. Hollywood, the singing crowd, all of that. But thank God for folk that are honorable. People that honor God and the reason they're honorable is the Lord said, Him that honoreth me, I will honor him. And if you honor God, God's going to put some nobility and honorableness on your life, where you're not just another face in the crowd and not just another person occupying the pew, 
but somebody that wants to do something to the glory of our God. He said, and Jabez was more honorable than his brethren. And you know, one day our record is going to be read before the Lord. And we'll all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And there will be rewards given or there will be the suffering of loss. And there will be a reckoning of all things brought together. Well, we see not only his person, but I want you to look at the pain attached to Jabez. And his mother called his name Jabez, saying, because I bear him with sorrow. His name has to do with sorrow, and it has to do with pain. And then the Lord connects that to his mama. And I believe that this title came because of her travail. She may have had some real hard travail when he was born, and uh, she called him Jabez because I bore him with much sorrow. Do you know that every one of us tonight that are saved by the grace of God has been bore with much sorrow? The Bible says in Isaiah chapter number 53 that Jesus would see the travail of his soul. Can you imagine the travail of the Son of God upon the cross of Calvary after the whipping, after the beating, all the groanings upon Golgotha being forsaken by earth and by heaven. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Crying out, I thirst as he took our hell upon himself and the sorrow and the pain as he was wounded for our transgression, bruised for our iniquities, how he was striped for you and how he was striped for me. And can you imagine all the pain and the sorrow that he went through in order that we might be saved? And like Jabez, have our name written in the book of life and be born into the family of God. But then not only the travail of the Savior, but the travail of the saints. Paul said there in Galatians, My little children of whom I travail in birth till Christ be formed in you. Now, Jesus raised four different people from the dead in his earthly ministry. He may have raised more, but that's what's recorded. And every one of those people had somebody that was weeping and sorrowful. The Bible tells us how that he raised the widow of Nain's son. And as she was coming down the road, they had that boy in the casket. And she was sorrowing. She was crying. And Jesus stopped that casket and said, Woman, uh, why weepest thou? And he reached up and he touched that young man. And praise God, that boy came to life jumped up out of the casket. I can see him grab his mama around the neck and go back up the road with her doing the T-berry shuffle. Hallelujah. I'm alive, I'm alive, I'm alive. But the Lord addressed his mother about her sorrow. Another famous one is Lazarus. His sister sent and told Jesus, He whom thou lovest is sick. Well, the Lord waited around. Four days later, he showed up. And when he got there... Martha met him and Mary and she was in the house weeping and these ladies were sorrowful in their soul. And even Jesus stood outside the grave and he said, roll the stone away. And the shortest verse in our Bible is, Jesus wept. There was travail going on. And then he said, Lazarus, come forth. 
and the man that was bound, the hand and foot, he come forth and they began to loose him and let him go. Glory to God. I can see him rip that mask off his face and spit spices out because they rammed spices down their throat to keep them from stinking so bad. As they loosed him, his arms began to move, his legs began to walk, his mouth opened up. He began to glorify the Lord. But he was raised from the grave because somebody was burdened over him. Listen, don't expect sinners to get concerned about their own soul unless God's church gets concerned about it. Every real revival that I've ever been in, when God's children get thoroughly right with God and with each other, and they get a burden in their heart, get people on their soul and they begin to travail, miss a few meals, have special prayer meeting and get down to business with God and get really burdened for them, it won't be long till sinners will start getting saved by the grace of God. God will visit them. The Lord will short sheet them. He'll take away their sleep and their appetite and they'll get miserable and they'll often get mean. And so if you're really burdened about somebody, you can mark it down. God is the God of both ends. And if He's bothering and burdening you, I guarantee you He's bothering and burdening them. Oh, they may act like, well, that don't bother me. Yeah, sure it don't bother them. Uh Uh-huh. Well, we'll see it bothers them. You just keep on seeking Him. Keep on travailing. And like a woman in travail, it's a hard thing on her. But as soon as the baby is born, praise the Lord, They're ready for another one, almost, amen. Uh, My wife gets embarrassed when I tell about this, but our first child, when she was in hard travail, uh, she said, I don't ever want to have another child. And then after that boy was born, laying there on her bosom, she said, I've changed my mind, amen. And boy, and that's what the Bible says, that you forget about that and the travail and all that. And many of you are sitting here because somebody got under a burden Somebody suffered and they sorrow is connected to people being born into the family of God. I'm afraid a lot of times the churches in this hour, they want to be entertained. They want to be gibby. They want to be happy, happy, happy. I'm all for joy. I like a good life. I'm not going to be an old sourpuss. Amen. But there's a time for us to get really burdened and travail in our soul. And if we do that, we can see Jabez is born into the family of God. Amen. So we see the pain. Number three, I want you to look at the prayer. The Bible enters into Jabez's life and it says in verse number 10, and Jabez called on the God of Israel. Now in his prayer, notice the person he addresses. He calls on God, but he uses a particular name in regard to God. He calls on the God of Israel. Well, who is the God of Israel? Well, the God of Israel is the God of Jacob. You remember Jacob, he was a trickster. His name means supplanter, beguiler, heel catcher. He was a rascal from the time he was born. He was a self-sufficient man. He was a fellow that thought, I can make it through by myself. He beguiled his brother and he swindled everybody he came into. Even his daddy-in-law who was a swindler, he outswindled the swindler. Amen. I mean, Jacob was something else. But God met with old Jacob 
And Jacob uh, met the Lord there at Bethel. You know, he had that stone for a pillar and he saw the ladder and the angels of God ascending and descending and the Lord revealed to him the way to heaven. And in John chapter number 1, Jesus tells us that he is Jacob's ladder. He is the ladder that reaches from heaven to earth and that's the only way we can communicate with Almighty God. And there Jacob got a vision of that. But he went on. He'd made promises and vows, but he didn't keep them. But coming back home, one night he got in a prayer meeting, a wrestling match with God. God got a hold of him and wrestled with old Jacob all night long. And the next morning and the sun was breaking, God said, let me go. I'm done with you, Jacob. I'm finished with you. And Jacob said, oh, no, you're not. I'm not going to let you go till you bless me. And so they wrestled some more. And God touched the sinew and melted it in his thigh and, and he began, in the hollow of his thigh. And he became a cripple from that day forward. And the Lord said, you tell me your name. He said, my name is Jacob. I'm a trickster, a planter, a beguiler, a heel catcher. I'm a swindler. I'm a sorry, low-down rascal. God said, all right, I needed that confession out of you. Now, I'm going to touch you and I'm going to make you a prince that has power with God and power with man and I'm going to change your name to Israel. Praise God. The God of Israel is the God that is powerful enough to break Jacob's down, convert them, change them, Take them out of the honky-tonks and bars. Put them in the pulpit preaching the Word of God. Jerk them off the street corner. Wash them in the blood. Put them in Zion's choir. Sing in heaven's song and make a holy person out of them. Hallelujah. And so when Jabez called on God, he said, I'm calling on the God of Israel. The God that can do all things. The God that is the master of all men. The Lord that's on the throne. That's the God that I'm calling upon. Hallelujah. So we see the person that he petitioned, the God of Israel. Then look at the passion in his prayer. Jabez called on the God of Israel saying, Oh, that thou wouldest bless me indeed. He didn't just pray, bless me indeed. The Lord inserts that he says, Oh, that thou wouldest bless me indeed. Oh is an interjection. If you're in school, you're learning interjections and you know how it is in English class. You just sort of blah, 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 blah. And then the teacher says, Ho! Hey! Ha! Ho! That's an interjection. That's an exciting word. It's a passionate word. Well, this is one of those, Ho! That thou wouldest bless me indeed. He wasn't a now lay me down to sleep prayer man. He was one that put his passion and his heart into his praying. I've heard people say, well, God is not deaf and neither are we. Yeah, but the Bible says about the preacher, he's to lift up his voice and show the people their transgression. No sleeping when the man of God is preaching the word of God. Hallelujah. He'll wake you up. He said, thunder it out. And isn't it amazing how everybody likes everything loud except they're preaching? Huh? Could you imagine going down here to Shadyside Drag Strip and listening to a quiet race where everybody had triple mufflers on their car? And (laughs) 
Oh no, boy! Here they go. Imagine going to a Clemson ball game and everybody down there. And it's like a Wimbledon match where everybody, whop, 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 whop. Oh no, loud. People like loud music. They like loud coon hunting. Woo! Get them blue. Amen. But then they say, keep your preaching quiet. Don't be so emotional. Don't be so stirred. Lift up your voice. Show my people their sin. And then the Bible says, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Effectual fervent praying is red hot praying. On fire for God praying. I had a Frenchman come over and he went with me to a mountain church. And uh, they took prayer requests. And afterward, he said, let's get in the altar and let's pray. Well, when they did, everybody gathered around the altar and opened up, man. It sounded like a pack of bear dogs baying up a bear, you know. I didn't know it, but it scared the dickens out of that fella. Because they're all used to just praying around one at a time, just real mild and mealy-mouthed and all that. And he said, oh, it, it scared me to death for everybody to open up and pray like that. I said, why? He said, well... You know, I, I couldn't hear what they were praying. I said, you know, it's like Lyndon B. Johnson at the presidential prayer breakfast. This fella, he called on him to pray, and he's mumbling around, and then the president said, speak up, I can't hear you. And the old guy said, Mr. President, I wasn't praying to you. Amen. Well, people like to pray around so they hear what everybody else is praying. I don't care what you're praying. Have at it. I'm not a pope. I'm not a priest. You talk to the Lord. And you have 50 people and you give each one of them five minutes, good night. You're going to be there for a while and you ain't going to get much praying done. But if everybody just opens up and pours their heart out before the Lord and you forget about what everybody, you enter into your closet. And your closet can be in this altar or it can be down there in the field or over there at the house somewhere. It's a place where you just zone in. And as Brother Raymond Gosh used to say, you get in the barrel. He said, when you get in the barrel, brother, remember in prayer. When you get in that channel of prayer, call my name in prayer. The Bible says he had passionate prayer. Oh, that thou wouldest bless me indeed. When's the last time you had a passionate prayer before the Lord? Amen. I mean, got in the prayer closet and really poured your soul out before God. And then I want you to look at the petition itself. He said, oh, that thou wouldest bless me indeed. He had dependence on God. He knew if blessings were going to come. He knew who it was going to come from. It would be from the Lord that thou. And didn't James say every good gift and every perfect gift cometh down from the Father of lights in whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning? And if you have real blessings in your life, you know who it's going to come from. It's going to come from the Lord. Oh, that thou wouldest bless me indeed. Now there are blessings, and then there are indeed blessings. America's been blessed of God. I mean, every way you turn, the Lord has blessed this country. But a lot of folk are not the recipients of indeed blessings. Indeed, blessings are blessings that come from the Lord that are beyond wealth, beyond health, 
beyond a status quo. It has to do with a spiritual nature. And you can be poor as Job's turkey and be rich as you can be. And you can be as rich as you can be and yet be as poor as poor can be. If you don't know God and you're not walking in His divine blessing, oh, that thou wouldest bless me indeed. Hey, how many of you would like a blessing from the Lord? Anybody? Well, we got about ten hands that went up. I don't know about the rest of you. Amen. <laughs> I'm interested in God's blessings being poured out on me. Don't you like old Archie Watkins' song? Pouring out blessings on me. Pouring out blessings on me. I seen him one day and I said, Boy, Archie, God has really blessed you with that song. I said, There's one phrase in there that I know he's really blessed you. He said, How's that? He said, Well, I went out this morning, cranked up my old Chevrolet. I said, God bless you. That thing would crank. Amen. <laughs> oh, my. But anyhow, if a Ford will crank or a Chevrolet or any of the rest of them will crank, you've been blessed. Amen. Didn't have to walk to work. You had plenty to eat. Thank God we're sitting here on padded pews. We're not being eaten up by mosquitoes tonight. God has blessed us. Looks like everybody's had plenty to eat today and yesterday and the day before. Say amen right there. You're not eating out of garbage cans. I can tell that right now. But blessings come from the Lord. And he said, I want a life that can be summarized by blessed. I want to be blessed. I don't want to be cursed by God. I want to be blessed. Oh, that thou wouldest bless me indeed. Then he talks about his uh, petition in not only personal blessings, bless me indeed, but now he talks about evangelical blessings. And he says, and that you would enlarge my coast. I don't want to be selfish, Lord. I don't want you to just pour your blessings out on me and then me hog them up and run off somewhere. And that's the end of the chain. Lord, I want you to bless me and then help me to be a blessing. Bless me indeed and then enlarge my coast. Little old boy sitting on the front steps of a local, little country church about like this one. Evangelist come driving up in a brand spanking new Cadillac. Best money could buy. He got out. Nice suit, shoes. Little old boy sitting there and he looked at that fella he just said what was on top of his head like kids do a lot of times, you know. Don't you love the blatant honesty of kids? But he looked at that fellow and he said, sure is a nice car for a preacher to be driving. He said, it is, son, but let me tell you about this. He said, my brother is in Texas and he hit it rich in the oil business. There's no telling what he's worth. Well, God didn't let me go that route. He called me to preach. And said, my brother bought me this car. He bought me these, this suit and all of this. And he helps me be able to come and preach to churches like this church. I could never afford a car like this on my salary. But I've got a brother that really helps me. Little old boy looked at him and he said, you know what? I'd like to be a brother like that. He didn't say, I'd like to have a brother like that. He said, I'd like to be a brother like that. Well, old brother Jabez is saying, God poured on me that I might be that kind of blessing to others. Bless me indeed and enlarge my coast. 
I think we settle for too little real estate in the land of Canaan. We're like the children of Israel when God divided up the land. He said, this is yours, this is yours, this is yours. But they did not go and get it all. A lot of land wasn't inhabited. A lot of Canaan was not taken over. They were satisfied with just their their little portion. There's no back fence to Canaan. This church and every other church around the world can reach out with the gospel of Jesus Christ and you can have a worldwide influence in the ministry, in the gospel, and there's no telling what God can do with a congregation that will sell totally out to God. You ever heard of C.H. Spurgeon? Do you know where he got saved at? He got saved at the Artillery Primitive Methodist Church. The Methodists had about died out and there's an evangelist from America came and he preached the Word of God. And there's two old boys got right with God. They started having an outdoor camp meeting, got on fire, got full of the Holy Ghost, got back to old time worship and God began to save them. They had about 300 or so saved. And so they asked the Methodist church, which was the ruling denomination there, uh, that they could join up with them and they put them off for three years. And they finally concluded they don't want us to be a part of them. We shout too loud, we preach too loud, we're too evangelical, they don't like us. So they started their own, what they call primitive Methodist, because they went all the way back to George Whitfield and John Wesley, and the way them boys was, they got full of the Holy Ghost, and they started that little old church down on Artillery Street there uh, in England. Well, a young fella came in one night, because it's snowing, Preacher wasn't there, but an old man got up and he preached, look unto me and be saved all the ends of the earth. C.H. Spurgeon got saved by the grace of God. And then C.H. Spurgeon became one of the greatest Baptist preachers since the Apostle Paul, and God used him in a glorious way. But that's not the end of the story. There was another fellow that got saved in that church, and he went over to Germany. And he started Baptist churches in that day in Germany and there was a mighty move of God and thousands of people got saved by the grace of God. That's not the end of the story. There was another fellow that got saved in that little old primitive Methodist church and he went up to Sweden and up in that part of the world and they had a mighty move of God during those days as well. Just a little old congregation, Spurgeon said about them, they sang so loud that it'd make your head hurt. And the preachers preached so loud, said there's no way to sleep. They were stirred up, Holy Ghost filled, just a small, but what God did out of them. I imagine some of them probably prayed this prayer, Lord, enlarge my coast. Don't let me be satisfied and happy with just me and my four and no more. And then I want you to look what it says. Thou wouldest keep me from evil, that it might not grieve me. He knew with the enlarged coast there would be temptations come along. And the Bible says, They that will be rich fall into many temptations. And as God blesses us and our cup gets full, it takes a steady hand to hold a full cup. Amen. And if God blesses you, be real careful that you handle all those blessings to the glory of our God. He said, Lord, keep me from the evil. And the reason being, he said, I don't want to be grieved. Believer, you know this to be so, that when a believer sins, what happens? 
they get grieved in their heart. And if it don't grieve you when you sin against God, I doubt that you're saved. Because every believer, when we transgress against the Lord, there's something, the Holy Ghost is quenched, the Holy Ghost is uh, grieved, and we're grieved in our soul. He said, I don't want to live like that. Lord, as you enlarge my coast and bless me with the bigger outreach and all of that, don't let me succumb. Job was the greatest man of all the East. And the Bible says he is stewed evil. That means to make a practice of pushing against sin because as the greatest man of all the East, temptation came his way all the time. But you've got to put up a resistance. Keep me from the evil that it might not grieve me. And then look at the prevailing of the prayer. And God granted him that which he requested. You reckon God would have granted a prayer to any of the rest of these folk? I'd say he would have. But it's not recorded that any of them ask. And you have not because you ask not. Amen. Huh. My youngest son, Coulter, he's not afraid to ask. <laughs> you that know Coulter. And sometimes he'll, he'll come out and he'll have something, you know, somebody's given him or something, and uh, Bridger will say, where'd you get that? He said, so-and-so gave me that. He said, how come he gave you that? Well, I just ask. <laughs> Amen. We have not, because we ask not. And the Lord will be a mighty big giver if we'll be askers. Wouldn't you like to see an old-fashioned heaven-sent revival break out here at Broad River and see the river rise and extend and flow throughout this country? Do you know that it can happen? If we'd be like old Jabez and not just be another face in the crowd, another church, my, going out to Oklahoma, I drove 3,000 miles in three weeks and I stayed in the same place in three different places. That's just getting out there and back and making the rounds and all of that. But how many Baptist churches did I see? And I heard a very little about any of them. And I've been at this thing over 40 years. Just another church on the corner. Just another face in the crowd. Oh, not to just be another face in the crowd. Lord, help us to be honorable like old brother Jabez. Let's stand all over the house. Lord, I want to thank you for the patience of this people listening out the Word of God. Lord, the attentiveness, and I pray that, God, what you spoke to us about, that we would address it in our hearts and in prayer tonight. Not just go out, Lord, like we came, but may, Lord, we really address what you spoke to us about. I plead the blood of Jesus over this service tonight and over revival. Have your way in our hearts now, in Jesus' name.